this being Pentecost Sunday, is the pinnacle of surprise. Here we have the disciples of Jesus. Now, we're not just talking the 12 or the 11 plus the 1 in in chapter 1 of Acts. We're talking about 120 people who were called and said, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and tarry till I endue you with power. So reading from Acts chapter uh, 2 here. On the day of Pentecost was being filled, all the disciples were gathered in one place, and suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. And I'm just reading from the Passion Translation. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they've never heard, they've never learned. I want to tell you that it's hard to learn a language that you don't normally speak. I've been trying in the, uh, my, one of my New Year's resolutions is to learn Spanish. So I uh, pulled out Duolingo and I decided that uh, I was making too many mistakes to do the free version. So I bought the full version because I needed to learn. I'm committed. So I am endeavoring, I'm getting into level one. I'm just, but I'm like, I'm committed so much that I will not let go of one day. Now, in Duolingo, if you've, and how many of you ever used Duolingo? Okay, a couple of you. Uh, in Duolingo, if you've made too many mistakes, you can't, they give you this, it's kind of a safety line. If you can't play anymore unless you get, get so many right, right? So if you buy the full version, you can play as much, you can make mistakes. But um, I found that, you know, even in the midst of trying your hardest, it is hard to learn a language. Like, I've been trying out my phrases on Hugo and Elena, and, uh, and uh, quite frankly, they look at me strange when I kind of pronounce certain things. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, so my, my goal is that if I can get to level one or, you know, finish one or two, I'm going to invite Hugo and Elena over for supper, and we're going to talk Spanish. <laughs> yeah, hola, yeah, there we go. There we <laughs> And... Uh, and so, but it's not only that, but I, when I pull it out, uh, of eyes up, and so he is, he is endeavoring to learn in Spanish with me, and so he's learned a couple of phrases, and uh, he's really excited. He tells his granny that he's learned four languages. One is English, the other is sign language, the third is Spanish, and the other one is toddler. He interprets what Gracie is saying to the rest of us. So languages are very, you know, they can be quite, but here we have the upper room and all of a sudden there is a tremendous uh, thing that takes place in that upper room and people are speaking different languages. And the thing is, is that what's so amazing about this is that it took place on Pentecost when there was a great gathering, it was already a feast that was taking place. 
And so when these people left the room that day, they began speaking in languages they never learned. And the people that were at the, the Pentecost feast were beginning to hear their own language because they, were, they began to hear their own language being from people that they didn't even know could speak it. Here we have a feast of Pentecost, which is like a homecoming, people coming together to celebrate the fact that they are of Jewish descent or they are believing in the Jewish religion. And so when they began to hear people that didn't expect speaking their own language, they were quite overcome. It's, um, in our day and age, it would be kind of like uh, speaking a language that people understand. What kind of language can you understand is that which is not just words, but that which is also action. Uh, I, I want to diverse a little bit here. I spoke this, I was in, you know, I, I've been living in this area for, um, I guess, 20 years, and I've only been invited to a men's breakfast that kind of a bunch of the older gentlemen get together. They have this men's breakfast and they invite certain pastors to come speak and so I was invited once and I I, I brought this up <laughs> uh, it was kind of uh, a dangerous thing to do because they all know that I'm Pentecostal and I, I believe in the Holy Spirit so when I got to this they kind of looked at me like deer in the headlights look going you really you're going to go here <laughs> and my, my challenge to them was really it's not about tongues or the interpretation of tongues, or the miraculous, it's really speaking a language that people understand. Do people really understand us as Christians? How do they understand us? I wasn't invited back. I haven't ever been invited back yet. But um, I, I guess what I, I want to say is, God unconditionally gives his spirit to us as a community. It's a bigger deal than you can imagine. God's essence, his presence, his personality, his power dwell upon our relationships. What happens on Pentecost Sunday moves the resurrection from being just an event that took place that was afflicted on one person to become an earth-shaking power that affects and can affect everyone. What happened in the upper room, a group of people got together to follow the way of Jesus just as he instructed. He didn't just give them his endorsement. He showed up in their lives in a surprising, radical new way. He promised to never leave them nor forsake them. And here he was, just as he promised. Jesus was present in his fullness, but this fullness had a new form. We often read this, this second chapter of Acts as a story, as a testimony of individuals who suddenly experienced something bigger than themselves and they received Spiritual gifts for ministry. Now, it isn't a bad way to look at it, at the text, but it misses the larger surprise that Jesus had for his first followers. 
But before I go any further, I want to make a few things clear. In this church, we believe in being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I will, I've been doing this for so long, I will never leave that aspect of my life off to the side. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? It means that you can have an Acts 2 experience for yourself. It's subsequent, meaning it's after believing in Jesus, and we believe it comes with power, authority to do the same works that Jesus did. Jesus said that. He said, I go, you can do greater works than me. We believe it includes spiritual gifts like prophecy, speaking in tongues, gifts of healing, and of others, including the many listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit does not make you a better Christian. Now, I've been, I've grown up in the church, I've been involved in the charismatic movement, and somewhat that has been the case in the early days is that it used to be a badge that you were better or more mature. I'm sorry it came across that way. But it doesn't make you, but it does make you better prepared. As Bill Johnson says, he's in me for my sake. He's on me for yours. He is in me for my sake. He is on me for yours. You have the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit whenever the faith of Jesus renews you into the family of God. And this same Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do through you. But if you want to minister with the purpose of Jesus to the world around you, then being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which means literally being immersed in his presence, is really a helpful step in your, dis in your discipleship. It's not just a one-time thing. It's an entirely different approach to life. The ones who were immersed in the Holy Spirit kept going back for another dip. I do. must admit that after some 30-some years of ministry, I could not continue to do what I do without the Holy Spirit. So what is the purpose? Why did God show up to dwell with this small ragtag community of Jesus followers? What was he trying to accomplish? Let's read verse 5. Now at that time, there were Jewish worshipers who had immig immigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. When the people of the city heard the roaring sound, crowds came running to where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening because each one could hear the disciples speaking in his or her own language. Bewildered, they said to one another, aren't these all Galileans? How is it that we hear them speaking in our own languages? We are northeastern Iranians, southwestern Iranians, Imolites, and those from Mesopotamia, Judah, eastern Turkey, the coastal areas of the Black Sea, Asia, north-central Turkey, southern Turkey, Egypt, Libyans, who are neighbors of Cyrene, visitors from all over the Roman Empire, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Yet we hear them speaking of God's mighty wonders in our own dialects. They all stood there dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, what is this phenomenon? But others poked fun at them and said, oh, they're just 
drunk on new wine. The Feast of Pentecost took place seven weeks, seven sevens, after Passover. It's almost like a super Sabbath. It was a celebration of the first fruits of the grain harvest. It was also honored in the Noah Covenant, which was a covenant made between God and all flesh that is upon the earth. So Jews and Jewish converts would come to Jerusalem from all over the world. And even though they had the same customs, they, were, they no longer spoke the same languages. They would feast and celebrate God's provision and his goodness. And they would be a living representation of God's desire to relate to the whole earth. Pentecost was a kind of homecoming for Jewish people. What is a homecoming? Well, some of us can associate to a high school reunion. Or maybe it's a family gathering. Or maybe it's welcoming a loved one from war from the airport. Or maybe it's a chance to visit a town you left a long, long time ago. It's funny, you have an affinity to those places. I go back to Leftbridge and I think, oh, yeah, this is where a lot I grew up. And, you know, memories fill your heart. You're going to go, oh, I remember this and I remember doing that and all those things. I don't know, are you all like me? <laughs> we have an affinity for the place where we are from. It's always funny when you say you're from Mormon, people go, you're Mormon? No, I am from Mormon. You're a pastor of the Mormon church? No. Uh, no. It's funny, though, I... So I, you know, in some cases, you just, I'm just north of Saskatoon. But to some Americans, they don't know where Saskatoon is either. They think you're swearing at them. <laughs> I remember one time being in Seattle, and all of a sudden, this lady says, ask me where I'm from. I said, I'm from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. She says, well, I'm native too. Our homeland has a profound effect on who we are. And we also know that we're longing to return to a sense of place, a, a sense of a place we seem to have lost. A homecoming in all its forms is a return to the sense of a belonging that defines us. Think about the people who have come from all over the world. They're observing a celebration and they are disconnected from each other. Aren't all celebrations kind of like that? We celebrate Canada Day with thousands of strangers looking up at fireworks. Ooh, ah, ooh, ah. Without really talking or getting to know anybody else. We celebrate family reunions by a big event where technically we know each other, but everyone aside from the kids mostly just keeps to themselves. <coughs> oh, yeah, who are you from? Who's your mom and dad? No, I don't remember. Oh, anyway, it kind of goes like that. And we celebrate a wedding by dutifully dressing up and bringing a nice card 
and we're itching to head home as soon as the meal is over. Although the wedding I was to this last weekend, there was some great dancing, I must admit. Some dancing I've never seen before, but all through the generations, it was great. But we are are half-hearted in our pursuit of something elusive. On one hand, we want to belong to something larger than ourselves, something that brings us joy and purpose and affirmation. But we aren't the same as those other people, so our celebration becomes as much of a duty as it is a faint hope. But here at Pentecost, God reverses the curse of the Tower of Babel, Remember, back in the Old Testament, he took everybody's language and made it different. They couldn't complete the tower. And now we have a miracle where he brings all of those languages and people are able to talk to one another. We come together and we try to belong to one another, but all we do is build hollow symbols of our own self-importance. These towers might stretch into the sky, but they mean nothing when we leave speaking different languages. You might be proud of your job and your workplace, but those things don't exist to tell you who you are. And the record of your efforts might not last forever. You might be proud of your country and your province, but the citizens of a given population will never be settled together for very long. And no matter how many games the Raptors win, it will be over. And we will go back to being Canadians. You know, we freak Americans out at this time with basketball. They think that they were the ones that invented it. (laughs) Wrong. And two... They're amazed of how we've become so nationalistic. Can you imagine at Oracle Arena, a bunch of Canadians, hundreds, go to the game, spend their money, and after the game get together and sing, O Canada. Americans can't figure us out. They usually do that at the beginning of the game. But as citizens of a given population, we will never be settled together for very long and your leaders are bound to inevitably disappoint you. You might be proud of your church and your ministry, but sometimes people come and go. And when you're dealing with something as personal and complicated as people's beliefs and convictions, there is bound to be disagreements. But if you have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of advocacy in you, upon you, and upon your relationships, then you can participate in a new kind of community. One that isn't built on sameness, where everyone gets together and tries to speak the same language in order to build something important. Instead, it is one where the spirit gives life to your own sense of self. And the Spirit gives life to your ability to speak life to someone else who speaks a different language than you do. 
There is a change taking place, and the same factor is there is an attack on the very same aspect, and that is we are coming to a place where church is not about just what you agree with in your beliefs. It's a commonality of building community. There is so much division in just looking at the things that, well, if, we're, if I believe the same as you here and I believe then we can get together and do things together. But as soon as your beliefs change, so does our relationship. I don't think church was made that way. I don't think Jesus designed it that, you know, you got to believe this and you got to believe this and then we can get together. But these people, then it becomes this positioning of, elite, of elitism that is, has burned bridges that the church is forever lost. At times it feels that way. But the aspect of being a community and being relational means that you can agree to disagree and yet still be friends. Some of the deepest people that I have friendship with, I don't agree with. I respect their beliefs. I understand where they're coming from. But I'm connected. And I will go to bat for them. There's something that's deep that takes place in the hearts and lives of people when we can agree to disagree and we can still come together understanding that there is the Spirit of God that resides upon us to do great things in the midst of diversity. I don't want you all to be the same. God didn't create robots. He made you you. And 1 Corinthians talks about the fact that there are many gifts been given to the church. And there's diversity in those gifts. And we need to celebrate. Not everybody's a hand. Not everybody's an ear. Not everybody's a big toe. But we still celebrate the big toe and the ear, no matter how big they are. That's what church is about. Peter stood up in verse 14, and I'll continue. Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. You need to clearly understand what's happening here. These people are not drunk like you think they are, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is the fulfillment of what was prophesied through the prophet Joel. For God says, This is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everyone and cause your sons and your daughters to prophesy. And your young men will see visions and your old men will experience dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will reveal startling signs and wonders in the sky above and mighty miracles on the earth below. Blood and fire and pillars of clouds will appear. For the sun will be turned dark and the moon blood red before that great and awesome appearance of the day of the Lord. But everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That is good news. 
Here's another little side note. I'm only going to go here because it's kind of funny. There is famous, there are, there is a, a number of, well, a, f- a few books read about blood moons. And some Christians that talk about blood moons. And right here is a blood moon. But right here is not about destruction. So when they say that blood moons are for destruction, they have to avoid this place right here. Because that's not what this is about. Just saying. So, just think about that when you hear about the next blood moon and someone's prophesying death and destruction, you kind of go, that's, you kind of got to take it with a little bit of, I guess, if you're so moved, you need to pray. Because those people need prayer if God's going to destroy them. What bothers me the most is this is where the, the Christianity thing comes into play is that we're so quick to judge and so easy to put people into hell. <laughs> That's not the spirit of Christ. My Savior died to save them from their sin, not to put them into hell. And that's where I kind of have to, uh, I, if, you, if you get that place where there's this feeling to prophesy over judgment, over people's sins, then we have to pray and believe God will revive them. They're needing prayer, not needing destruction. That's just a... It's just one of those sidelines that take me off on another direction and I got to bring myself back. So you kind of get my heart there. Um, what happens at Pentecost? What is the purpose of the outpouring of the Spirit? The birth of a new kind of community is what's being brought across here. One that flourishes because of our difference and not in spite of them. One where old people begin dreaming again because they know others will live to see that dream fulfilled. One where young people don't get disillusioned and run with a vision for the future. One where signs and wonders are expected and even necessary. One where people can call upon the Lord and be saved. Now I want you to to not read this in a religious way. We are all escaping the brokenness of the world. We are all under powers and principalities which demand labor in our energy, our loyalty, and our attention. And salvation looks like traveling the whole world in return to where you started, only to find out that your home you lost has been recreated for you. It's the story of the prodigal son. Only it now applies to families, tribes, cities, and nations. What did the prodigal lose? His dignity, his purity, sure. But most of all, he lost his own sense of home. And as he returned, he discovered that the father had prepared another kind of celebration for him. On Pentecost, 
God surprises the whole world with a home going. With a homecoming. Verses 37 to 41. When they heard this, they were crushed and realized what they had done to Jesus. Deeply moved, they said to Peter and the other apostles, What do we need to do, brothers? Peter replied, Repent and return to God. And each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to have your sins removed. Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. For God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your families and for those yet to be born and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter preached to them and warned them with with these words, Be rescued from the wayward and perverse culture of this world. Those who believed the word that day numbered 3,000, and they were all baptized and added to the church. 3,000 people were saved that day. The same number of people who died at the giving of the law. When Israel was first formed as a nation, they did so under bloodshed and sacrifice. And they did it at the exclusion of the nations of the earth. But at Pentecost, God brings about the birth of a new kind of nation. It's the church. A tribe of all languages, all ages, all backgrounds, all cultures, brought together by the Holy Spirit of advocacy, brought together under the good kingship of Jesus. So how do we participate in this reality? So what I've told you is that God surprised and did a bigger work than just empower individuals. He created a community that includes everyone. For the last two or three years, the concept of community, in my mind, has been under attack. The desire that God is doing a relational aspect, creating a relational value in church is crucial, especially in these four walls. And here's what I want to say is that You can believe in Jesus, but to obey Jesus, you need a relationship with someone else. You can believe Jesus for your salvation, for your ticket to heaven, but in order to obey Jesus, you need to be in community. There was only one commandment that Jesus gave, and he said, love one another as I have loved you. You can't do that by yourself. I'm going to step a little bit into dangerous ground here because I want to. I want to. (laughs) I, I want to go there.
you can believe in community and still be out of it. You can say you love, but be unloving. I think sometimes as Christians, we get caught in buzzwords and of, and of, of talk. And it's not just in the church, it's even outside the church. There are a lot of buzzwords that I hear sitting at leadership table of, of city council and dealing with all government things. There are buzzwords to, to the bazingas. You can, there are certain buzzwords that are just trendy and are useful and they tell you something, but they, tell, they really say nothing at all. And sometimes in the church we use buzzwords and they're, we're portraying something, but really, in action, we're not there at all. Love is more than just a belief. It's an action. I cannot love my wife if I don't have any action behind it. Someone said to me a long time ago, sorry is only valid when change is involved. Ouch. And when we say community, it's not so much that we believe that this is a community. Are these your peeps? It's more than just hanging your, your name on the mailbox outside. <laughs> Had some people lately say that they've been hurt because their, their names got taken off the mailbox. They haven't been here for three or four or five months, and yet they're hurt because their name's taken off the mailbox. Like we disowned them or we kicked them out of the church. I want to tell you right now, we didn't kick them out, didn't ask them to leave, didn't do anything. But the fact is, is a community is an action word in my mind. If you believe in this community, you will attend this community. You will want to be involved with other people in this community. And actions speak loud words. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be here 24-7, 50 days, like 52 weeks a year. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's more to community than just saying, this is my peeps. <laughs> Facebook does that. And I am not everybody's peep. <laughs> 900 and some people. They're my friends on Facebook, but they don't have, they're, they're not going to be there when I need help. They're not going to be making a breakfast for, a lunch for me or a meal for me if my wife is pregnant. Now, that would be a miracle, but. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I just, I've walked into, into major, major swampland now, but what I'm trying to get across is community is action and language that people can understand. It's not just a word that we use. Now hear me, if you only have come once every six or seven weeks and this is your church, great. But you know what? There are some great people here that could really impact your life if you come a little bit more than once every three months. You know what? There are some great life groups that are happening that just, you can get your fill of great community. There are these life groups are so much, they're happening better than church does. <laughs> they enjoy one another. They get together to do great things. I look after two of them, and they're the, they are the sweet spot of Christianity. Because you get to rub shoulders and understand and almost lay out your life before someone else, and they can help heal you, pray for you, encourage you. And there is no judgment. There is no, oh, that's what you do? Oh. No. It's, an, it's a, a place of value where the community is, is enacted and done and involved and participates in showing the love of Christ. So how do we participate in the reality of the Pentecost? We need to be a person who creates a homecoming for others. Belonging is something you cannot earn. You must give it to others as a gift. I will almost go further in saying that it is something, if you don't, I think what, what we have been afraid to do is saying that belonging is not something that you will receive. It's something you will give. If you want to sense a belonging, it is not something that people's going to all of a sudden read you like a book and say, oh, I need to give you a hug. No, it's something that you give in community and you receive. As I give my love to someone else, they are in turn understanding I broke the barrier, I've taken the wall down, and I'm experiencing that person. And that person has no way to stop that. <laughs> I get into your grill and I give you a hug. Sorry, you're going to experience the hug. You may get all rigid but you will experience the hug. You see, there's something about community when there's a break, when there's an involvement of my life into someone else, there's only the, the reaction that takes place. There's still, the barrier's been crossed. I think sometimes we're waiting for community to just all of a sudden become this miracle bliss that just comes over. It's like a... It's like fairy tale dust of the Disney movie flick. We're waiting for it to kind of permeate the atmosphere so that we can all of a sudden have this change of, of, of life. And I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is 
Fairy dust is for Disney. Community is something that takes your involvement and it is expressly your gift to give. And when you give it, you will receive it. It just happens that way. Give and it'll be pressed down, shaking, running over. It's not just talking about that. I, I want to say is that it's not just talking about money. We use it for money, but it's not about money. I got so much excited they dropped the microphone. <laughs> How do you participate? I'm on I'm in my last I'm coming in for landing guys, okay? I've you know I've I've shocked the tears off of you today, but how do you participate in this reality? Speak someone else's language instead of demanding that they speak yours. You are their ally and their friend. Demonstrate it by listening to them in their language. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of understanding. Refuse to get offended. Refuse to accuse. Stick with people until you get where they're coming from. And prove that you're in their corner. One person that does this really effectively in this church is Louis Sorin. And I... I bless you, Louie, because you are like that. And people who know you receive that in you. Oh, that we would be like Louie. <laughs> but you know, when I mentioned his name, a bunch of... Uh, yes, 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 because that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the spirit of community. When you get to know Louis, you, you know he's in your corner. But you won't get that if you only know Louis once every four months. <laughs> he won't even invite you to his cabin if you do that. <laughs> I'm just joking. That was a joke, okay? I'm trying to be funny. I'm, I'm, I'm messing everything up, so I'm trying to be funny and let you. How else can we participate in this reality? By using the gifts of the Spirit to become an advocate for people. Your gifts that God has given to you in the Spirit is not a badge for your maturity. It is a gift to be given for others. Your talents are given to be given to others. I could go through each and every row, every seat, and I could point you out and I could tell you what your gifts are. And I can tell you how you have benefited and blessed this community. I want to encourage you to continue. I want you to prophesy. I want you to release healing. I want you to offer words of encouragement. There is still a place 
that is needing to rev the engine and get the community going. I want us to wake up, smell the coffee, understand that there is so much that we can do as we see the day approaching. Jesus is coming back, and he's looking for a church without spot or wrinkle. I could quote the hymn, but it's more than just the act of salvation, it is the desire for the community that is, that is called his body. You are called part of the body of Christ. That body isn't just sitting there kind of waiting for something to happen. That body has been empowered by the Spirit of Christ to release things upon others, upon life-changing, alterating encouragement that could... So focus your life and build one another up and release such a, 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 an overarching influence and atmosphere into this entire area, province, and nation. We are called awakening for just that purpose. We are called to awaken the nation. You may not feel like you're awake, but you will be awake after I finish with you. <laughs> just kidding. I've put many people to sleep in my day. I do have an anointing for waking people up. Lastly, how can you participate in this reality by allowing the Holy Spirit to reawaken your dream and your vision? I've been accused over the last little while that um, somehow... Being father of the house, I, I demand people to come in alignment and be, think like me and do like me and walk like me and talk like me. The only person that really can fit that mode is him. <laughs> Some people mistaked us. When he was younger, they would be able to say, well, you're a Kendall Schramm son because he could look like me. Now he's bigger than me and... <laughs> could whip me. <laughs> but the fact is, is that I am not in any way, shape or form, trying to create little Kindles in this room. God has blessed you and anointed you and is giving you gifts that are not like me. But he has blessed you in such a way that your world can be changed by what he has given you. And some of us are so into the, into the sleep mode that we're, we just are in survival mode. We're just thinking, well, what is next going to happen? What is next going to happen? What is next going to happen? And we're just fighting to survive. I want to tell you that that's not the Saskatchewan I know. That's not the Christian Saskatchewan that I experience. You've, we've allowed the whole thing of poverty and a mindset that says I don't have enough, I can't have anything, and so I'll just wait 
for life to just take place and run by me. And hopefully I can just stab it a little bit and I'll get what I need to survive. Well, guess what? Life will pass you by. And we'll stand before God and we will have to give an account of where our life was. And guess what? He has given each and every one of you, young or old, male or female, the opportunity and the giftings and talents to change your world. What you face in body, if it's sickness, he's given an answer for that. Well, I don't feel it. Believe it. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do this. Okay? Please forgive me. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I mean, this man came into our church and he sat in about the second last row. And he came with his daughter. And he came because the, the food bank ministered to him. I'm sure that this was a very funny place to come to. <laughs> and you wondered what these people were all about. But he moved from there up and up. And now he sits in this second row. And a few weeks ago he said, Pastor, I've never done this before, but I'm going to pray for my healing. Total healing. I've be, now, I don't want, he has his own testimony to give, but he is suffering with chronic pain. He can't work. He's on social services. Social assistance, I should say. So for him to pray for a total healing is hard. But as he's moved closer and closer to Christ, Christ has allowed his faith to grow and to grow and to grow. This morning, he's now going to regret saying this to me, but he said, you know, I haven't been using my cane very much. I've picked something up that I normally couldn't pick up, and I heard a crack, and I thought I'm going to, Hit the, hit the dirt. But things started to feel better. Now, he still has his cane. But I, you know what I think? Is I think that in order to take him from where he was to where he is, he had, it had to be incremental for him. Okay, I'm, I'm speaking from my perception. I'm just saying that in order for us to understand what God wants to do in each and any one of our lives, you may not be ready to be the preacher at the front. But take a step of faith and want more of him, of where you're at. Not just want it, but live it. Take a step of faith into the unknown where only God can come through for you. Yes, it is a scary thing to be in the hands of a living God. 
And I mean that in the sense that there is a reverence of a fear that only God, being your source, to stand with you, to get you to the place that you need to go, is where he wants you to be. All the time. You may feel like you are unsuccessful as a parent. Or you may feel like you are not making a difference of where you work. Or you may feel that there's not enough money for the rest of the month. You may experience a physical ailment. Those things are there for your upgrade. There are places for you to put your faith into an almighty God who can bring a resource and a change to your life. And the only way that happens is by taking a step of faith and moving towards it and believing for that greater future. Calling that future to today takes faith, takes trust. Because the glory is not in you, it's in him. He's wanting the glory. I've seen the countenance on Devin's face change. I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen it. And I believe that there are many more Devons in this world, in this area, that God wants to minister to. But it's going to take us as a community, not as individuals, to reach out to those Devons with the answer. And we can because we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're still friends, right? (laughs) I have done some Kendallisms today that I'm sure... Church, I want to say something, and that is, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable in closing. My son and I were taking a drive to pick up the car, and Connor asked and said, Dad, how are you feeling about ministry? And I had to say, well, you know, son, I, I sometimes have to walk in through disappointment. I d- I'm not disappointed in God. I'm disappointed in, some, in people. Because sometimes I, I, I think I'm giving it all and it feels like it's just not enough. And I've given 20 years of my life to this church and to this area and sometimes it feels like I just, I can't, I, I'm not, it's just not enough. But I go back to Acts 2, and I realize that in me giving my life to the church, I'm giving my life to Christ. And I'm believing for better days. 
I hurt when people hurt. I hurt when people leave. I hurt when the when you when you hurt. But I am fully engaged and committed to this thing called church. It is not just a Sunday morning get-together where you get to hear some music and a guy preach. It is a community that represents the body of Christ. And one thing you need to understand is that you are a good body. I want the potential of Christ to be released out of you into your worlds. I want to make a difference. But it's not because of an individual, but it's through a community that's not just agreeing on certain things that are the same. It's empowered by the Spirit. That we walk in relationship one to another and we see the glory of God come down. Salvation isn't going to happen any other way. What I mean by that is that the... The, the, the overall blessing in heaven, heaven invades earth will not happen any other way until the church commits to its potential. To the very empowering of Acts 2 and says enough is enough. I am going to live in my identity, my destiny for the glory of who he is. I believe in you. Christ has died for you. He has empowered you. Take what is given you and change your world. All it takes is one small step. And see that he is faithful. He's still doing it in our midst. He's still working miracles and power. And he wants to do it. <laughs>